those who have made great effort for many years, and we're thankful for that. I'm reading from the New Living, the the uh, New International Version, the NIV tonight, for a bit of understanding. If you have your King James Bible, that's a wonderful read also. Please keep that close to you. Just for this moment, I'd like to just read from the NIV and it will capture a couple of plain spoken words for us. I'm looking at Second Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bible, if not, the screen will show you the, the word. I'm going to break into conversation. And so we are talking about or witnessing the discussion, the writing of Peter as he will describe people who were once saved, who had truth in their hand and had received it, but left it. I want to tell you there are no Reformed Pentecostals. They're backsliders. <laughs> I want you to know there are no enlightened apostolics that are now suddenly Reformed Christians. They're backsliders. And Peter is going to address them. He's going to write about it. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed out to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Amen. I'm given a task by the Lord so I'll fulfill my obligation to God and strive to be in His perfect will. Amen. Put your Bibles down and grab the hand of someone close to you and let's just pray and lift up our voice to the Lord. Would you do that? I thank you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, I thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Anoint us tonight together.
Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. When you get seated, would you clap an offering unto God? Would you do that with me? Irrespective of age or personalities, notwithstanding what reaction the audience might have made, the prophets preached what could only be called a clear sound. I find myself tonight as a messenger of something far greater than the person who delivers such. And to be true to this word, then by virtue of the leading of the Holy Ghost, I take refuge in Paul's words when he wrote, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We can ill afford to hear small portions of the Holy Scripture. We must know it all. So I preach in hopes to reach some. I have taught with expectations that you might be caught by the word. We worship so that he might be glorified and that our praise might be occupied by his presence. All of it is with intent and deliberate purpose. If you can grasp this, then let me say that in this life, there will always be people of importance. They have status, they have rank and position. But in heaven, there are no levels of rank, no one vying for a higher place. The ultimate equality of all mankind, if you will, shall be found behind the gates of pearl. The only one high is he who is high and lifted up. He is the lamb who is worthy to receive glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. He shall be the light that illuminates the entire realm of heaven. He shall sit on the throne and shall reign forever. And those who enter those walls of jasper and walk on those transparent streets of gold shall be like-minded and shall obtain a robe, a crown, and a glorified body. What we know of heaven is that it is a place of peace and tranquility. There are no tears there, no dying there, no heartaches there. Sickness cannot live there. There will be no regrets of any kind or conflicts in heaven. We won't even be remorseful for those we have left behind because we shall be like the Lord and we shall be enlightened by his wisdom. There will be no room for sorrow. There is much more about heaven and eternity which is not given to us. I would submit the words of Isaiah. There are far more telling than we might think. Paul quoted the prophet Isaiah in his letter to the church at Corinth. But as it is written, he said, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Heaven is not just a lofty place beyond our reach, but it is real and it does exist. And when the day comes, when the day comes, what the Bible calls that great and terrible day of the Lord, those who are saved shall hear the trump of God and shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. In that day, in that moment of time, the entire world will change. Millions upon millions of people will be gone from this earth in a twinkling of an eye. Economies of all the world will change instantly. Factories will stop. The departure from every arena will be noticed. And there will be no clear explanation for the millions that will be raptured. It will be like a day like none other. I cannot tell you when it shall be. But something inside of me tells me that we do not have long. 
there is a coming return and there will be a rapture of the bride of the body of Christ out of this place and nothing, nothing that you know right now is normal will be the same, nothing. In this building where we stand and sit tonight, moments after that moment, moments after that trumpet shall sound, there will not be room enough for the masses who will press their way to try to get themselves back. This is not a scare tactic that I give to you. And it should be noted that most people are not frightened or even motivated by the subject at hand. But at that hour, trust me when I say, those front doors will be broken down. The windows will be turned into entryways for the people clamoring to get back to this altar that they left many years ago. Jesus said, I tell you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He told Nicodemus that except the person be born again of water and of the spirit, that he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name that shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. So it is through the words of Jesus that we know that there will be people who will not repent and will have no desire to be born again, and they will be lost. How tragic it is. These people do not have a desire for God even now. But they love darkness and they love sin. Hebrews clarifies the contrast when Moses chose to suffer a little while with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, sin sin is only for a season. It will not last forever. It's not all year long. It's not all life long. It's not all eternity long. And sadly for the church and for our mission, there are millions who have already died while living in that season. Oh, that we could go back and recapture their soul and bring them back to an altar of repentance. I'm reflecting upon my childhood when my mother, young, when my mother told me the story of how my grandmother tried to witness to her uncle, old Uncle Joe Campisi. He said that food was his God. He mocked the Lord. He mocked the way of the Lord. He mocked all the religious ways. To him, Christianity was a joke. And Jesus did not mar- matter. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. To him, Jesus wasn't, didn't die on the cross. He wasn't the Messiah and he wasn't God. He ridiculed the thought of even being saved. And he said that food was the only God he ever needed. And it was on his deathbed while he was dying that he called out. He screamed out to old Aunt Irene and to those present. He said, help me, help me, I'm burning. My body is on fire. I'm burning, help me. He died like that. Old Uncle Joe Campisi died in a state of denial. And he refused the advances of the witness of the Lord. But he is not alone. There are millions of others already passed from this life and have journeyed unprepared and and unaware of what eternity holds for them. The atheist who grows up with a disdain for God and for all those who call themselves believers, they are happy to die and to give their body back to what they call Mother Earth because the atheist does not believe in God. He rejects the scripture as God's authority. His focus is on his family, on temporal things, maybe on leaving something to his kids to remember him by, and he represents millions more people. The list goes on and on. The party goer, the the reviler, he who presents to so many, they have given themselves to a reckless existence, spending themselves on weekends, Fridays, and Saturdays. There are millions of them even tonight. 
Agnostics are not filling up the room, unsure if there is a God, and not willing to deny or to condemn those who believe or not believe. But whatever his opinion may be about a higher power, he never moves from his state of fleshly desires. The agnostic. He may not despise the church, but he never makes a move toward the church. He may not despise the Lord or rebuff him, but he never comes to submit his life before the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is lost also. Oh, what great sorrow for all those who are lost in sin. They never made a move to repent or search for the Savior. They have disobeyed by denial or even by ignorance, both resulting in the same tragic peril. For Acts chapter 17, verse 30 states, and I quote, And the time to this ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. But when that day finally comes, these shall all be lost. They will all make their way to eternal damnation and judgment. Hear the preacher tonight. And on that great and terrible day of the Lord, when the souls of men shall be forever judged from the books of the Scripture, some will say, I never knew, and I never knew it would be like that. For these multiplied millions who are racing toward the gates of hell, the enemy has no work to do. Hell has no need to work overtime to capture those wayward souls. They are caught in the grip of the devil with no regard for God and no desire for truth. And we, church, we must reach them. We do not rejoice in their peril. We don't get angry because the harvest is lost. We've got to reach them because it means that we have the truth and they are lost and we have the salvation in our hands. It means that our work is never done and our mission must be taken with great sobriety and with great burden. Paul told Timothy of this day when he said, this day that I'm living in right now, this day of 2015, that perilous times would come when sin would abound. He went on to describe the works of the flesh to the Galatians. He said, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, various emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice again the last line of verse 21. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not my own idea. This is not my own writing or manuscript. But this is the final authority of God own word. This is not my personal judgment on people, but this is a clear description of the finality of men and women who do such things and what their end shall be. Hell is not reserved just for Mussolini or Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer. Hell isn't reserved for just the most wicked people in the world, but it is a real place for those who do the works of the flesh. And those who engage in such things are wrapped in a cloud of deception and lies. Hell has already caught them in this grasp. And without the church and without this soul-saving message of the gospel, they shall be forever lost in the final message, in the final hour. And that's why I rise to say again, This is the great hope of the church. This is the hope of this world. This is the hope of this city. This city needs a church that preaches truth and believes in the gospel. And without arrogance 
And I say it without arrogance, but with great confidence in the revelation. We may not be touted in the natural. No may, nobody may be, no may be applauding us in the natural. No, may, no man might even be paying attention to us, to us in the natural. But in the spirit world, we are in high demand. A Holy Ghost, Jesus name believing church is in high demand in the spirit world. Hell is fighting for every soul. But in this carnal world, it does seem that the demonic world has much more work to do when it comes, much less work to do when it comes to the nightclub or to the drug lifestyle and the corruption of a secular society. Hell wants every prospect. But in respect to the atheists and the agnostic and the violators of their own bodies, hell doesn't have much work to do. They are already trapped by their own flesh. Demons do not have to work overtime to snare their souls. And Satan does not have to seize control in a low moment to tempt them towards sin. Think of it. False doctrine is a safe place for the demons of hell to work. For as long as people are caught in the claws of false teachers and false preachers and false pretense, there is no work for the rulers of darkness to do. False religions are abounding in the world. And as long as people embrace the lie or worship idols or keep calling on Allah or whatever the deception may be, are bowing down to the feet of a statue of Mary. Hell needs only to sit back and watch the demise unfold. As long as they drink themselves in drunken stupors and shoot up their veins and smoke every kind of thing, hell doesn't have much to do. As long as they lend their bodies to those things of this world, hell doesn't have much to do. And so we note again the great need for us to spread the truth to our generation in this last hour. Oh, how great a need. It is apparent that the calling of the church and the purpose of the church is for us in this time. It is the existence of our church now to reach the lost. We must win and fight and get everybody we can as much as possible and pull them from the fire. All those who have never heard his name need to hear his name. All those who have never had a chance to come to a place of repentance need to have the altar available to them. Everyone who has never had a chance to receive it or to reject it need an opportunity. That's our mission. It is the duty of the church. It must be our all-time, all-consuming desire to reach them. And when we think about what we're supposed to be doing, it should humble us and focus us to leap forward toward the lost and win them by any cost necessary. Even in our own communities, right here, there are thousands of people who are not saved. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the masses that are on their way to hell. They are marching to hell in groves. They are marching to their end by the hundreds. They are marching toward the lake of fire, toward eternal darkness where, the, where there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire is not quenched. That thought alone spins me like a top drives me to press forward. It pushes me back away from foolish talk and objectionable conversation. I can get sidetracked by the ignorance of babblings that come from personal opinions. Or I can run for the loss, but I can't handle both. So I have to ignore all the ignorance 
And I have to run for the lost because it's the lost that need to be saved. So I just say, I got to keep my head down and I got to look for another lost soul to reach and teach and baptize. They're going to hell if we don't reach them. Uh, Accepted or rejected is not in my control, but I have to reach them, teach them, and water. I got to plant. I got to give them an opportunity. We could all waste a lot of time talking about trivial things. God knows many of us in this room tonight are caught up in trivial things that do not matter, but it only clogs up the purpose of the body of Jesus Christ. Foolishness, hear me, like jealousy and gossip. And idle chatter works against the purpose of the cross of Calvary. So if you're involved in jealousy or bitterness or idle chatter or gossip, you ought to stop that because the devil's getting victory and all that stuff. It's clogging up the purpose of the church. Hear me? Many things that we're talking about right now in our everyday life will not matter and won't matter on that great and terrible day of the Lord. And yet the body becomes so weighed down with so many trivial things that it cannot possibly do what it was intended to do. Hell is real and heaven is real and it's coming and it's already prepared. And we've got to do the work of the church today. grieves me that there are so many souls that are lost. Hell hasn't worked for them. They're already a tangled mess. Some are just born into homes that did not care about God. They grew up without God, and ultimately they will die without him. Calvary and his precious blood has no meaning in their lives, and hell has done nothing to snare their soul. Hell has benefited from countless of people, countless people who never desired a relationship with Jesus Christ. Eternal darkness will be filled with people who never once used his name except maybe to curse him or take it in vain. John Lennon wrote a song about it. He said, and I quote, imagine there's no heaven. How horrible and tragic for that man. For eternity, he will recount the lyrics of his own life because there is a heaven And there is a hell. Hell will give him no thought, however. He was just a tool for a time. But Satan did not have to offer confusion to lead him away from the truth, to snare him, because he already had him. And there are hundreds of other worldly celebrities which despise the things of God. Little do they know that they are nothing more than tools of the devil. Their collective souls have bathed in darkness for the duration of their lives. And hell has done no work. But there is another battle that I speak of tonight taking place. It's not over the children of darkness. It's over the children of light. There is a spiritual battle taking place. It's not over those who never knew his name. It's over those who've been baptized into his name. That's who Paul was addressing when he told us to take up the whole armor of God. Those words were directed toward the born-again saints. Those who were born again of water and of spirit because the real battle of hell It's not over the masses of people who never care for Jesus or never loved his spirit or never knew his word or embraced his blood. The real battle, ladies and gentlemen, is over the souls of the elect, the sanctified, the righteous, the body. The real battle that hell is fighting for is over you and I. This fight is where the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places fight for the souls of the redeemed. It's because of your understanding of God's word. That's why hell is after you. He's after every blood-bought saint of the most high God. Hell 
is after every apostolic young man and every apostolic young lady. And in my mind, I believe that hell has a trophy case that it likes to show off for its own amusement. Hell's trophies will not be the masses who never knew him. Hell's trophies will not be filled with notorious sinners and murderers of the world. But the trophies of hell shall be those who were once saved and who, and I quote, shall turn away their ears from the truth. Hell is looking for Sunday night worshipers who danced and prayed and sang. Hell wants to tout the soul that once held in their hand the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Don't get me wrong. I believe that every soul is at stake in this spiritual battle, but something is telling me that the enemy is after everyone who has ever been filled with his precious spirit. Hell's trophies are those who have occupied the pews and who once called out of darkness into this holy way only to lose sight at the very end and be lost. Hell's trophies are those who were once counted as the righteous and who were once saved from sin but somehow turned their back on God and chose the way of the world. They will have traded light for darkness. They will have traded places, peace for sorrow, godliness for the whims of the flesh. They will be those who once were consecrated, but something happened on their journey toward heaven, and they gave up trying to please God, and they started to please themselves, and they started to please other people. Even in the days of Jesus, there were men of great learning who saw his miracles and his power. And John said of them, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. Hell's trophies will be people who sang the songs of Zion and who were given the gifts of the Spirit and of the Holy Ghost. But alas, they neglected the remaining truth in the presence of the Lord. For whatever reason, they lost faith, they lost sight, and they lost their way. Something entered their heart, and something turned them away. And at the very end, they gave up the truth for a lie. Hell fought for them every step of the way. They were in battle with every temptation known to man, and they were provoked at every turn. They were called and chosen, but like Judas who walked away from Jesus, they made a choice at the most crucial hour of their lives. Like Judas, they had seen the miracle of the Lord and knew his teachings. They believed in the scripture, but something snagged their attention away. Maybe they were filled with conceit. Maybe some enticement or offense came their way, but they left. Ultimately, they left. Maybe they faltered in their last hour as they played with the fire of sin unknowing that it would be their last moment on earth. Some of them will be people who grace the doors of this assembly but somehow left the presence of God for the things of the world. If you will walk with me a little ways and give me a little narrative liberty, I will tell you that Satan has glanced over the graveyard of fettered souls, bound for eternity and finds no real gratification because for many of them, the process of sin was already in place and these souls seemed destined for darkness from the beginning. But then with a wry glance and with much satisfaction, he gazes toward a place of intense sorrow where the souls of the backsliders saint reside. Here is a trophy case. They were once lost and then found and then lost again. These are the very ones which Peter said were entangled again after they had first escaped the corruption of the world by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. 
It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than they have known it and turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed down to them. They are like a dog returning to its vomit, vomit and a sow that is washed and goes back to wallow in the mud, the filth and the bile. Here they are weeping not just from the fear of the realm of darkness or the pain of their status, but they are in torment for having known him and then having left him. They will forever remember the preacher's sermon, pastor's sermon, and for a million years they will rehearse all the songs that the choir just got done singing, which once filled their heart with peace and joy. They will recall the moments at the altar and the time that they gave themselves to Jesus in worship. These are the souls which hell has pursued and conquered who were deceived and grew weary and faint and then finally back again they fell into the entanglement of sin. These are the ones who were promised a reward and had worked all day in the vineyard but at the last hour of the time of history they backslid and fell away. These are the very souls of men and women and young people who were born into this wonderful truth and knew the way of the Lord but decided to leave it unlike the prodigal. They never made it back home but died in the pit where they lived. They were not lifelong sinners. They were not murderers. They never spent time in jail. They were not dyed in the wool whoremongers or revilers because most of their lives they were serving God. But something crept into their spirit. And when the Lord came to call, like the five foolish virgins, they were left out of the marriage. Jesus said, at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him probably can't pick them out in the crowd. They blend in so well in the audience. They may be sitting in this place tonight behind you or in front of you or you may very well be them. But something got in their heart which was evil and wicked. Something caused them to be lost and it made them turn away from the truth. They thought it was such a major issue at the time. They blamed God. They blamed the church. They walked out thinking that they were justified. But at midnight, there's a cry and Jesus has come. Hear me tonight. To know the truth and to turn away from it will be the entry to the trophy case of hell. (laughs) Satan will look over and he will say, look at this one. They used to lead songs in the church, but I got them. Let me show you that one. They used to teach Sunday school. They told little children how to be saved. They taught them every Sunday, but I caught them at their weak moment, and they crumbled under the weight of my temptation. Look at that one. They used to worship and sing in the choir, but I kept the pressure on, and they got bitter. And they lost faith. The trophy case that he wants to show, he'll say, they used to be godly young people. This whole shelf came to church as teenagers. But I lured them with cheap glamour of this world and they gave themselves to the pleasures of their peers. Do you see that one? They used to be a faithful saint. And this one was a giver. But I got them to notice the money they were given. And they started noticing the money. And they left the truth. And they they negotiated their pure conscience for the love of money. Look at this one. This is my favorite one. These all got caught up with ambition. It was just stuff. But they sacrificed their soul for a bunch of nothing. These gave in to pride. These 
served God but gave in to vain philosophies because the trophies of hell are going to come from the people that used to have the Holy Ghost, but they left the church and left God. Don't get me wrong. He wants every soul. The Bible said that hell has enlarged herself to take all them, but the devil would really like to take the, 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 the redeemed. He's after the elect. He's after you. You who just got done crying and praising and clapping. He's after your soul. Don't you know what's happening to you? You thought that was just a natural thing. This is a spiritual battle. He's after your mind. He's after your spirit. He's after your family. He's after your marriage. And you're going to let something get in the way. He's after you. So he can put you on a trophy shelf and say, I got him. But I'm rising up to say in this house, this holy house of worship, there can be no one. Don't let the devil take you. I know what it is. I I got it. I heard all the messages and I watch people sneer and I watch people fold their hands and I watch grown men fold their arms and say, well, it's just another ranting preacher. I got a word for you. When he comes back, it won't be just another Sunday night message. It'll be the very thing that saved your soul. tell you something I think it's going to be tragic for people to be lost and go to hell forever but how much worse if you played one of those instruments on this platform and you felt the beautiful spirit of God and you left it How much worse it is for all of you who hold the door open with a name badge and said, I want to serve and be a doorkeeper, but you left it. The tragedy of the lost and the world will be, will be worse enough, but it would be better, sir, had you never known this than for you to live the life that you're living now and be lost. Let me tell you something. I don't have time to play games. We don't have time to, to tiptoe around all this stuff. We got to get right. Hear me? You got to get right. You got to get saved. And if you have anything in your heart that you think is going to keep you out of heaven, you better pour that on the altar tonight before you get out of this place. You don't have a promise that you're going to make it back home. You don't know what's going to happen on your way back home. You better, you have an opportunity to be right and be holy and to be justified before the Lord. Don't be a trophy of hell. Must have been in the mind of Paul seeing one of his close friends and preachers leave the truth and turn to the world. 
It must have been a great burden for him when he opened up his letter to the church Galatia. For some have left the gospel for a lie, he wrote. I'm amazed that they have turned their back on what I preached to them. Hebrews chapter 2 summarizes it this way when it writes, Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at some time or at any time we should let them slip. Verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him I'm remiss in my duties if I don't preach the whole counsel of God so I'll comfort you when you need comfort and I'll pray for healing when you need healing And I'll counsel you if I have the wisdom to do so or I'll send you to someone who has it. And I'll lay hands on your children, your babies, and I'll visit you in the hospital. If I can make it there, I'll go. And I'll lift you up when you're discouraged. Like I do every week for as many people as I can. But if I don't tell you that there's a real hell, then all the other things that I've just said have no meaning. I want to tell you, don't be lost. Don't be lost. You know so much. Most of the world doesn't know what you know. Most most of the people, there's a billion people in the world that have never heard what you've heard. Don't be lost. Don't you know the devil's been after you for a long time? He wants to use you as a trophy. Because you spoke in tongues. Because you had the Holy Ghost. He'd like to rip every pure thought out of your mind. He wants to entice you with everything in the world. He'll bring great discouragement to your life. Until you finally start questioning him. I want to tell you right now. This is the best place you could ever be and the best sermon you could ever hear. Not because I'm preaching a great sermon, but it could be because it saves your eternal soul. And for those of you who already have rejected what I've just said and you know you have rejected it, I want to say it would be better had you never known God than for you to go to hell and remember Everything that I've ever preached and every song that's ever been sang. I gotta get right. I gotta be right. I remember Diane was a few years older than me. What a beautiful person. I loved her so much. She was probably two or three years older than me. She was part of our youth group. We loved her so much. At 30... One years old, 30 years old, 
She came down with ovarian cancer, had a little baby girl. She married Tony, who was also in the youth group. They got married, <clears throat> had a little baby girl, cotton top. Oh, man, that little girl. Diane was withering away. And while she was slowly dying, <clears throat> my mother called and said, all the youth group probably needs to get together. You won't have much time. And called us all in. And we all went to the church. And we had a little party at the church. And when she died, she was laying on her couch and her niece was playing the piano, singing the praises of God. And her little girl was playing on the floor beside her. She was 31. <clears throat> that night when the youth got together, and I say youth because we were all now in our late 20s, there was a doctor, there was nurses, there were professional people now. Some of them had been in the same powerful services that, that Diane had been in. We were all slain in the Holy Ghost dozens of times, more times than we could remember. See, I was raised in a church full of fire. That's why I act so crazy when I get up here. Because I was born in the fire. I'll die in the ashes. <laughs> and when those young people got together, those young adults and several of them married, we all took turns and we embraced Diane. I'll never forget hugging her frail frame, skeleton frame. And she whispered to me, I love you, let's pray for all the others. Because there's something worse than dying of cancer. It's dying lost. Wait, wait, hold on a second. We got to get back to a serious subject because the world is pressing against everything that we believe in and the world would pull you away. And the devices of the world is, are not just for the world, it's against the church. And if we had an understanding of it, the devil wants to rip away every child and every young person, every adult out of this house and corrupt our spirits so that we're entangled again. But I'm going to stand up here like a shepherd and say, oh no, get behind me. I'm going to rebuke the devil like a wolf, like a lion. I know he is. I want to say right now, you cannot afford to die lost. He wants to put you on his trophy shelf, but you will not be a trophy of hell. You got to be saved. I'm going to tell you why we have church on the north campus. I'm going to tell you why they got prayer meeting going on. Let me tell you why we got teachers teaching about Jesus. Because we're trying to save this church and the world. Yeah. 
So why don't you just get serious with me now, get real. Is what you're engaged in, is that really necessary? Do you really need to be engaged in that conversation or that junk? Don't you know it's leading you away from God? Don't you know all that stuff you've been hiding in your heart is leading you away from God? How tragic would it be for you to say, Lord, I cast out devils. I spoke in tongues. I came to church. Oh, yeah, but you didn't have a relationship with me. You loved your bitterness and your grudges and your gossiping and your backbiting. And the devil's just saying, come on, I got a beautiful shell for you. Get right up here in the lake which, which cannot be quenched and the fire that will not go out. I love to have apostolic young people. I love to have Pentecostal parents. I love to have some elders that lost faith at the last hour. Hear me? You're in the last hour of time and you better hear this preacher. I know it's an old message, but somebody's got to get a hold of it. Jesus is coming back and you've got to be saved. Hear me, hell is real and heaven is real and he's after you because of what you know. My mother put her arms around me when I was a teenager. She said, you can't be lost. Don't be lost, Jeffrey. She ran to me and said, you can't be lost. Don't be lost. Don't let anybody convince you that you don't need this. Hear me. Don't let anybody convince you that you don't need to be an apostolic. You love God. You love him more than your mom and dad. You love him more than your grandparents. You love him more than your great-grandparents because you know too much. You've got to be saved. You've got to be saved. Don't give it up. I'm begging you, don't give it up. Don't let the world take your innocence. Don't let the world take your purity. Don't let the world take your virginity. Don't let the world take your mind. Don't let the world take your heart. Don't put anything in your mouth that's wrong. Don't put anything in your eyes that are wrong. Cover your ears. I gotta run to the saved. The devil is after the church. Shame on you for trying to discourage people from coming to church. Shame on you if you're doing that. Shame on you. You ought to pray to God that they don't give up. Because if you are a detractor to them, their blood's going to be on your hands. Don't think you're going to be saved if you have led people away from the house of God. You won't be saved either. I'm going to tell you right now, you do not want me tonight because I'm after the devil and I'm after everybody and I'm after the, some through love and some through fear and you cannot be lost.
Here, here, Pastor, tonight, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not that you would get in the world and lose everything. The worst thing is that you would get in the world and be successful. The worst thing is that you would backslide and become successful. And then you would think, you would believe the deception and lie that God's favor is upon you because you are successful. When in fact, you have failed the ultimate test. I want to tell you what we need to do. I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I want to get back to the old time preaching. Let it be a little fire brimstone preaching. We need a little hell fire brimstone. You know why? Because we're not afraid. You ought to be afraid. I think you ought to love God because you love him, but you ought to be afraid. Don't mess around with that. You ought not go to Walmart and buy a Ouija board. You think that's a game? You ought to be afraid. That's not a play toy to play with. The spirit world is not a, is not a play toy to play with. You better not say the Charlie thing. You better not go over the Charlie thing. That's happening right now where they're trying to invoke spirits and say Charlie a couple of times. Somebody better wake up. The devil is fighting the church and our kids and our adults are playing with things they ought not be playing with. You are going to be a trophy. I ain't got time to mess around with the backsliders. I mean the backbiters. I ain't got time to mess around with the people who rebuke me. And God, I'm trying to pull out people from the fire that are already in the church. Look at me right in the eye. Look at me right in the eye. You're going to go to hell if you keep fornicating. You're not going to be safe. I don't care how many dance and hooplas you do around this place. If you're engaged in sex outside of marriage, you are sinning and you're violating your body and it's against God and you're going to go to hell. And if you don't like it, go ahead and, hey, somebody, go ahead, get a match out. You better start burning this up. Go ahead and burn the pages. If you don't like that, burn that page right out of there. If you don't like me talking about sin and blood sacrifices and redemption, you better burn this whole book because I'm going to tell you what the book's going to do. Out of the book, we're going to be judged. Out of the book, we're going to find a way. Only out of the book, we're going to know how to get to heaven. Come on, somebody. Somebody, you've got to find the Holy Ghost. You've got to find a way. It's a holy way. It's a righteous way. I don't want you to go to hell simply because you know better. Look at me, Dad. Look at me, all you fathers. Look at me. Your boys and your girls, they're only going to do what you do. And if it's been a long time since you buried your face in that altar and you showed them how to do it, no wonder why they're not doing it because you sit back waiting for someone else to do it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it's needed. Oh, yes, it's true. Oh, yes, we're going to do our worshiping, and we're going to do our dancing, and we're going to do our praising, and we're going to get up and sing, and we're going to shout the house down. But I'll tell you what we're really going to do. We're going to be saved. We're going to live like we're saved. 
we ought not have a party on Friday and live like a devil on Saturday and cruise into the church on Sunday. Hey, it's not my word. Don't be a statistic. You gotta have the Holy Ghost and you gotta be pure. Look at Pastor. You cannot be lost. The great tragedy of the church is not that we didn't win our whole city. The tragedy is that we didn't win our own family. The tragedy is that we didn't win our own people that were in the church. I'm grieving over the lost. We were just sitting together in, at, the, at the coffee shop looking around the people. I said, oh, they're lost. It burdens me. But there's a greater weight. Could our babies that are growing up in this thing, would they be lost? What a great tragedy for our own children. You know what the Bible says? <sighs> That Zion couldn't be comforted and they shouldn't be comforted because of the loss of their children. You ought not stop crying until your kids get back to God. And you ought not stop crying until they get back to the altar. And you ought to plead with them and beg them. And you ought to pray for them and fast for them. And you ought to say, and when they ask you why you're fasting, you ought to do like my mother used to do. I'm fasting for you. I'm fasting for you, Scotty. I'm fasting for you, Jeffrey. I'm fasting for you, Dana, because I don't want you to be lost. And they ought to feel, hey, they ought to feel bad that they're putting their mom and dad through that mess. One profound young man gave the testimony of his friends at school. And they said, come on, come on, come on. You can do this. Come on. It's okay to take a little bit of that. Oh, what are you afraid of? You, is your old man, they call, is your old man going to be mad at you? What, you are you afraid what your old man's going to do to you? And he shook his head and said, I'm not afraid of what my old man is going to do to me. I'm afraid that if I do it, what it will do to him. I want to put that inside of you. I want to tell you, young people, it tears my heart out. I grieve. I wonder, people, hear me, people. I wonder, did I do something wrong for 15 years? I couldn't keep them. I did it wrong. I did it wrong. Am I messing up some here? I'm grieving over the backsliders of our church. Who've heard me preach? I did something wrong. I, I didn't get it right. I passed them by. I, I made a bad decision. I'm putting it on myself. Shame on us if we're always blaming them. I'm blaming myself. I'm saying, oh God, help me to do better. I don't want to lose the people that you've given to me. Don't let them come in from the world and then backslide from the church, Lord. Oh God, don't let them be another trophy of hell. Just whoever wants to respond to the word. 
there's an altar, whoever wants to respond. Hey, wait, and some of you need to get out of your pew. You need to go lay hands on people around this place. And in love, you need to pray an intercessory prayer over them. And out of your mouth, call out to God. Don't let it just be a bow in your head. Ha, ha, ha. Oh. 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 Yes. Ha, ha, ha.